Uh, God's word today comes from the book of John, chapter 5, verse 1 through 17. And uh, we have our brother Andrew giving us the word today. This is God's word. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen? Good morning, church. Uh, we have a newcomer this morning. His name is Daniel Huang. Daniel Huang, if you could raise your hand. And so welcome you. Oh, right there in the back. Welcome. <laughs> welcome to have you today. All right, everybody. If you would indulge me, if you could turn to your neighbor to your left and right and say, I'm so glad you're here. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. I love to hear it. I love to hear it. God is good? And all the time? Amen, amen. I hope and pray that you truly believe that, because that is the truest thing that you and I can say. All right, let's get into our text. Thank you for, Pastor Paul, for reading our text this morning. Uh, Just some context for what's going on. So this is what would be Jesus' third physical miracle in the book of John. And there are some fascinating encounters before this one. I encourage you, if if you don't read the Bible, this is a great book to start if you don't read it, the book of John. And so what's happening is Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem. And this particular day is the Sabbath, very much like it is today. And tensions are growing on the horizon towards Jesus. And this particular miracle is high on notice. So the title, very simply today, is The Unexpected Life-Changing Encounter. Won't you pray with me? 
Father, you are such a good God that we could come here together of all different walks of life, different people, different situations, with all of our busy weeks. We ask that you would remind us of who you are and what you have done through your son, Jesus. I pray that it would be less of me and more of you in this time as I preach your word. Uh, may I not be a stumbling block, but may I just serve as a humble servant to you. We pray for every heart and every mind here that they would be open to hearing your word and the truth that you have to offer us this morning. And so we pray all in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Timing. Timing is everything. Now, why do I mention that? Let me tell you a comical story that I had. So a while back, I was staffing in Richmond at VCU, and we had winter break. So, you know, winter break, we, we come back home. So when I come back home, um, I'm driving from Richmond to Northern Virginia. And if you know that drive, you go down I-95. And if you know I-95, it is not a great place to drive, okay? So I confess, I confess, for a time in my life, that when I got into a car, I needed to see how fast it went. And I'm very efficient with my time, so I tried to make good time. So here I am, flying down I-95. And if you've driven down that road, you will understand that there is this wooded area, median, and occasionally every quarter of a mile, there's a little alleyway where some cop cars will wait for you to speed. I'm sure you know where this is going. So I'm flying down, and this is not, this is not an excuse, this is not a justification, but everyone else is driving pretty fast too. So I'm, I'm flying down, right? And then like, I see this blur out of the corner of my eye, and I saw this cop car. And I'm like, oh no, please, right? So I'm going fast as I can, and then I see in my rearview mirror a cloud of smoke. And out comes this car, and he's pursuing me. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be so expensive. So I'm going, I'm flying, he's pursuing me, he turns his lights on, and I see him. He's so close, I can see him. And he's going like, pull over, change lanes, go to the right. And slowly, sadly, I'm just changing lanes, going over to the right side of the road. And then the most remarkable thing happens. He speeds past me and gets the guy in front. Amazing, amazing. If he was an angel of the Lord, this was the Passover. This was the I-95 Passover. I had experienced a mercy and a grace that I could never have even asked for. And it preached to me because someone else took my place in the face of judgment. Amen, somebody. It preached to me. Timing is everything. If I had just been a few seconds earlier, I would have been the car in front being caught. But thanks be to God that I was not. You don't have to get pulled over to learn a gospel illustration like this. But I'm here to tell you these sort of instances happen to you every day. You just need to stop and pay attention to what God is trying to teach to you and to me. So the main idea that I have for you today is that life-changing encounters, they happen in the most unexpected and yet timely circumstances. I have three points for you today. The first is that these life-changing encounters, they disturb our monotonous routine. And the second, they, they shift our perspective. And the third, they reestablish the Sabbath. So let's get into our text. They 
disturb our monotonous routine. Verse 1 says, after Jesus, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. If you're a creature of habit like me, you like order, you like schedule, you like to plan things ahead of time. But what happens when something disturbs that routine? Out of nowhere, something happens where it disturbs your ordinary setting. And here the setting is established. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonies. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. We can envision this city, Jerusalem, as this inner city, the hub of information, the hub of activity. And this pool, this pool called Bethesda, it's actually translated to mean house of mercy. But you and I know better. This is not a house of mercy. This is a house of misery. When I first read this text, I'm like, oh, this, this pool, this public pool, it's like a, it's like a king spa, right? No, that's, this is not what this place is. This place is more accurately, in our context, a hospital. This place is a homeless shelter, much like the Lamb Center that we helped out two weeks ago. This is where blind, lame, paralyzed people go to make their home. And if you can imagine the setting, the scope of our focus comes in on one particular man just going about his everyday routine. Just another year for this man, just another feast of the Jews to be exact, 38 years. And he's suffering from this same ailment. We don't know his mindset, but we can garner that he's probably depressed. He's probably feeling self-pity for himself. We don't know the cause of this man's injuries, but Jesus says later on, sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you. So we can garner that because of what this man did, it brought upon his ailment. And this man awaits, not knowing exactly what is about to happen to him next. In comes Jesus. Jesus, who is the great doctor, the great physician, the great healer of all men looking upon all those in this homeless shelter. What a sight. Can you imagine the God who had made them all? And yet they don't, know, they don't know him, but he's feeling compassion upon seeing all those that need him. And he looks at this man, who has probably been there the longest, probably the most pitied, sullen, sunken-headed, not wanting to be seen by anybody probably not making eye contact with anybody. If you've ever had your dealings with homeless people, you'll occasionally meet people and they don't make eye contact with you. It's almost as if in their spirit, in their heart, they're saying, I don't deserve to be seen. I don't deserve to be looked at. But here, Jesus sees this man. And as I was preparing for this word, this verse six, this spoke to me the most. When Jesus saw him lying there, Note that it does not say when, when the man got up and saw Jesus. It says, no, no, this man didn't see anybody. It says, Jesus saw him. Thanks be to God that we did not first see Jesus, but Jesus saw us. Amen. This man had no idea who Jesus even was. We can confirm this later because he didn't even know his name, even after he got healed. But you can be sure and bet your money on one thing. Jesus knew him. 
while this was an unexpected encounter, this was already an expected, predetermined, predestined, foreseen encounter with this man. So I'm, I'm going back in time. We're going back into Richmond again, right? So I'm serving for, for staff. I'm serving as large group coordinator, and we finished one of our Friday nights. And if you'll know, if the city, city of Richmond has a lot of homeless people. So I'm driving home. I'm already tired from serving in ministry, and then I get stopped at this red light. And we've all been there. We know this awkward moment. If there is a homeless guy right there, right, there's this awkward exchange. So being the awesome Christian that I am, I inched up a little forward so that I would not see him in my peripheral vision, right? But, but, you know, there's certain moments in life where God speaks to you so clearly, and I just remember him telling me, man, Andrew, you say you love me, right? Why can't you just love him? And I was so convicted that I... I, I had to pull over. I pulled over to the side. I got out of my car, and thankfully, there was a Jimmy John's right across the street, and I said to him, sir, would you mind if I treat you out to dinner? And he said, thankfully, yes. And so we're making our way. I buy him his sandwich. I get him his chips and his drink, and then when he receives it, he receives it as if it's like a transaction, like he expects me not to want to talk to him, right? I'm sure he's had this encounter many times, but I said, no, I... I want to just sit down and have this meal with you. So we sit down, we chop it up. We talk about sports. We talk about seminary. I don't know why we talked about seminary. I probably brought that up. We talked about seminary. We talked about his life. And he began to share with me very tragically, sadly, why he was homeless, that he had actually had a good job. He was in construction, but he had an on-site injury, and he injured his back. And he just, the medical bills were just piling up. And then it just, he just ended up becoming homeless. And he expressed to me, no one wants to be homeless. I, I feel so much shame as I stand on that corner asking for money. Right? And I looked at him. I'm like, who am I to talk to this man? Right? And as we're, as we're finishing... He leaves and he says, you know, thank you for the lunch, but thank you more for the conversation. And I said, I see him around. Thank you more for the conversation. I think a lot of the times we see people on the side of the street and we don't see them as people, right? Sometimes we have a charity event, uh, any opportunity, and we just throw money at it as if that's going to solve everything. But people want relationship. People want connection. We have that dignity. Why can't we afford that dignity to those that don't have that? So point two, they shift our perspective. Jesus, when this, he saw this one lying there, he knew that he had been sick already a long time. And says to him, do you want to be healed? Seems obvious, right? Of course. Of course I want to be healed. But Jesus, why would you ask if this man wants to be healed, Right? thing is, Jesus already knows this man's situation. So he is strategically asking him a question, knowing well his condition. Why? Because you don't really appreciate something until it's gone. And when you're so far removed, you start to lose that desire. You start to feel like it's unattainable. And this man was so far removed from the desire to walk that he forgot what he wanted. Can you imagine 
being able to walk, having an injury, and for the rest of 38 years, you can't? On a deeper level, just like this man, I can become detached. You know, you and I, we may look more put together on the outside, but the inner workings of the heart is the same for everybody. I can relate in terms of just trying to get through my day. I become so enamored with trying to just get things done for God that I forget to have fellowship with God. I get through my day, and I forget what the main point of it is. You and I are not so different. We lose our way. We have a condition of forgetfulness, of emotional detachment. For many of us, we're just going through the motions of life, forgetting why we're living in the first place. A sick man said, I, I don't have anybody to put me in this pool when the water is stirred. And when I'm going down, another steps down before me. For this man being healed, it just came reduced to getting into this pool. And for, therefore, Jesus asked him, what do you want? This is an important question. This is an important question for you. Do you want to be healed? Here, Jesus is being very relational with this man. He is getting to the heart of it. And an encouragement to all of you. You don't have to suffer from depression. You don't have to suffer from mental illness. But I, I greatly, greatly encourage you, at least once in your life, seek counseling. Because you will find out things about yourself that you would have never known on your own. It is of great benefit. I did it. I took counseling when I was at my worst. And what I learned was that I needed to want to want again. Let me say that again. Did you get that? I needed to want to want again. I needed to know that I had a desire and that I needed that want again. And here's the thing, that even if you don't have that desire, know that God wants it far more for you than you do for yourself. That's why I'm here today by the grace of God. Sometimes before getting back to walking, you need to know if you want to walk again. I repeat that. Sometimes before getting back to walking, you need to know if you want to walk again. Amen? Amen, somebody. Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed. And immediately he springs up and he's healed. Now, it was the Sabbath on that day. If you don't remember anything, remember this. This is the most important detail in this sermon. Yeah, it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the one who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it does not permit it for you to pick up your bed. Now, Bible trivia, does it say anywhere in the Bible that you cannot pick up your bed on the Sabbath? No. You will not find that. So where do these guys get this from? They get it from Jewish tradition, layers and layers upon Jewish tradition, where rabbis would bring this book called the Mishnah, and it would just be further elaboration on what they thought the intent of the law was. But what they found was that it pushed them further away from the law. And it made them steeped into tradition. And here this man answers them very truthfully, hey, but the one who made me well said, pick up my mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this man that said, pick up your mat and walk? And he, and he said, I don't know who it was because Jesus had withdrawn while the crowd was in that place. They ask him, who told you that you could do that when our tradition says that you can't? And he says, the man who I met with, who 
who I talked with, who healed me, said, I can do this. Church, this man is speaking more truth than the Jews are at this point. All right, we, we, okay. So some of us, some of us, we're steeped in tradition. Some of us, a lot of us, directly relevant for us, we grew up in church. We know how church works. We are around church. We are so churched, but we don't know Jesus. We are so steeped in tradition that we haven't really encountered the one who gives us genuine faith and the reason why we ought to come to church. We know the protocol. We know the sermons. We know the seminars. We know the programs. But we have lost sight of why we're doing this in the first place. And sometimes you have a situation where those who are church, those who are self-righteous can lord over you, not with biblical truth, but with tradition and say, this is the way we do it because this is how we've always done it. Or you have another camp that says, these are our, our ideologies of faith. You have to adhere to our ideologies, our thoughts to fit into our camp. But here, Jesus is doing something very different. He is shifting our perspective. The Jews have forgotten the point of the laws. They forgot about love. They forgot about mercy. They forgot about righteousness. And they didn't even realize that this man was healed. They were so blinded. A man that could not walk can stand again. And here it is. Here it is. Something simple yet profound. The location here is heavily emphasized as this pool that heals people. Commentaries would explain this this pool as an angel of the Lord would come, stir the waters, and the first person that entered would be healed. But you and I need to understand something that is taking place, and it is that this man, as he's healed, he has never entered into this pool. Isn't that fascinating? He didn't have to enter into it because he already met the wellspring of salvation face to face. All Jesus had to say to him was, get up, and he walked. He didn't say get in, he said get up, and he walked. You can imagine the bones, the muscles, the ligaments in this man's legs could not ignore the words of him who formed this man in his mother's womb. And when Jesus commands it, you better believe our physical bodies respond. Later, Jesus' his best friend, Lazarus, dies, and he's in the tomb, and Jesus says, come out. And what happened? This dead man rose from the dead. This man walks. A medical miracle happens. And this testimony draws people to ask, well, wait a minute. You couldn't walk. And now you walk. He is a living, breathing, walking testimony. And who is it that healed this man? It's Jesus. The God who wasn't served by human hands as though he needed anything because he is self-sustaining. In our earlier accounts in the book of John, Philip is talking with Nathaniel, and they're conversing. And Philip says to Nathaniel, the one who the scriptures have talked about, he has come. He is from Nazareth. And Nathaniel responds to him, Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? And Philip so eloquently, powerfully, simply responds, come and see. It's funny, as I'm driving to church this morning, I passed by a church sign that said, come and see. Believe that. Crazy. Jesus 
This Jesus who, who at the wedding of Cana, they ran out of wine. That is a big no-no in weddings back in the day in that culture. But he said, take these six stone purification jars and overflowing with all of them, he turned that into wine. Jesus, who had this encounter with Nicodemus, who was, who was a leader in the Jewish authorities, he comes to him at night because he's afraid to be seen. And he says, how can a man obtain salvation? He says, a man must be born again by water and of the Spirit. Jesus, who was baptizing disciples in the Judean countryside, and from afar, John the Baptist looks at him and he says, he must increase, I must decrease. Jesus, who had talked to the woman in Samaria, in the dead of the afternoon when no one else would be there because she was ashamed because she had so many past lovers in her life, Jesus encounters her and says, I am the wellspring of salvation. I am the eternal water. If you drink from me, you will never thirst again. And Jesus, who heals this man at this pool, this pool that's deemed to heal people. And what's fascinating is this pool is only not but a quarter mile away from the Garden of Gethsemane, where Christ would give up his will to be crucified for you and for me. Jesus saves this invalid. And Jesus saved this invalid. He set me free as he set this man free. And who in the sun sets free is free indeed. Don't take for granted God's mercy. We are here by grace. By grace you have been saved. Not by achievements, not by your guilt, not by your shame, but by grace. Sometimes I feel like I just barely made it through those doors. That God gave me a second chance at life. It gave me an opportunity. And if I'm the last person in heaven, I'm still better off. It hits me. Now I know why, why it says I'm, I'm better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to be a king outside of it. I have newfound gratification for all that God has given to me. How can I not live in thankfulness? Because you know what it costs us? It's free. Free. The most priceless thing that God can offer to us is free. Because what did it cost him? Everything. It cost him his son. Point three, it reestablishes the Sabbath. After these things, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, Look, you have become well. Sin no longer. Notice, friends, pay particular attention to this. Where is this man after he is healed? At the temple. He's no longer at the pool. He doesn't need to be. It's fascinating. Because when your life's changed, when God heals you, the first place you want to go is church. The first place you want to go is to worship God. This is where Jesus finds him. And he says, look at your situation. Look at the evidence of what I have done. Don't you see? Now go. Live a changed life. And the man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Mm, now they know. Now these Jewish authorities, now they know. Jesus is the one that made him well. In account of this, the Jews began to persecute Christ because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So it's adding further fuel to the fire that is burning against Christ. 
And here, this is what he says in the midst of this controversy. He's, he answers them, my father is working, and I am working. So he doubles down. And man, he's, he's riling them up now because he's saying, I am Jesus. Yes, I am God. And the Jews were not without fault here because they were so focused on tradition that they forgot that Jesus was actually the Lord of the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath as the teachers of the law were failing to realize, it's not, it's not just that they had to stop working. It was that they had to stop working in order to see what God was actually doing, that God is holy and that he upholds the universe in the palm of his hand like it's nothing. They had to stop and recall what God had done. And here's a fact. You know that God didn't create the world in a week? He didn't. It only took him six days. He didn't need a full week because he rested on the seventh. And when he looked upon all that he had made, he said, this, this is very good. Look at that contemplation, church. God is working with us to reestablish the Sabbath. Don't, don't miss the point about what the Sabbath is. It's not about you. Right? It's always, I got to find the perfect church. They got to have great programs. The preaching has to be great. All the, pro, all the child care. When did it become so consumer-minded? It's not about you. It's about God. It's about giving glory to God because he deserves it. That's why we have structure. That's why we have this in place so that we can honor the Lord. And here's the thing that's convicting probably for you and for me. Prioritizing Sunday doesn't happen the morning of. Timeliness, the fact that we come late, we already miss worship. Preparation for Sunday happens Saturday evening. So last night, what are you doing in preparation for today? How do we honor the Lord in the Sabbath? Yeah, well, you, I stayed up. I, oh, I miss church. Well, you know you put that situation upon yourself because you stayed up, right? So it's your job to go to bed early so that you can come here on time and give the worship that is due to God. But, you know, if we can be honest, you and I, we don't really rest very well. Here's what I mean by we don't rest very well. When we think of rest, we think of maybe doing nothing. We think of vegging out on Netflix Vegging out on video games, whatever hobby you can insert there. But that's not really the rest God is talking about. The rest that God is talking about is a present-mindedness. It's a contemplation of who he is. It's not just about showing up, but it's about being present in the moment. Sabbath is not just about physical attendance. It is about repentance. That we have failed in that way. So for us, we need a mindfulness. We need a conscious decision to repent, to turn away for our, from our sinful lives. We have to fight to keep the Sabbath, and it's not easy. And some of you may be interpreting, oh, that just means i got to serve less. No, it doesn't mean you have to serve less. It just means that you have to start serving and being present-minded in what you're already doing. Maybe you're only giving 50% in the, in the thing you're already assigned to. Some of us need to find new ways to serve and realize the blind spots that we have through the Sabbath. But I get it. I get it. We're busy. Have you ever been so busy that you actually lose yourself a bit? 
Do you know what I'm talking about? There's so much to do, so little time. Can you relate? Some people, some people actually keep themselves busy purposefully so that they don't have to think about the deeper things in life. It terrifies them to stop. So they have to just keep going until they get so tired and burnt out. But here, let's imagine the setting in John where Jesus notices this man and he heals him. And he heals him particularly on the Sabbath day. And here's the genius of the Sabbath. God is saying to you and to me, stop. Scriptural support says, be still and know that I am God. Remember who I am, the great I am. When Moses is in the presence of the burning bush, right? And God says, set my people go. And he asks, who, who do I say sent me? And he says, tell them I am sent you. I am who I am. Later in John chapter 9, Jesus confirms that he is Jesus because he says, I am. Jesus is claiming to be God. And the crescendo of the events that will culminate to the cross where God will bring about our ultimate salvation, where we are granted peace, and where he makes things all new. And it is now realized today, and it is still yet to come, our hope is the greater Sabbath. I know we're big on to news, updates, notifications. We've been getting a lot over the past two years. Have we not? Disease, famine, natural disasters, wars, rumors of wars, right? You get them every day, and you're devastated by them, or you're, you, you fling to one way or the other by them. But let me tell you about some news identification, some notification update that you and I have to remember, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Are we looking forward to that day? Hebrews 4 says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever enters God's rest, rests from his works as God did from his. So then let us therefore enter to seek that rest so that no one may fall under that same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints of the marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. We all have to give an account to him. Whether you believe in him or not, we will all give an account to him. And I'm telling you right now, he's coming back. I love one of what our professors in seminary said to us. He posed us in class about two weeks ago, and he said, he said very, uh, he said very controversially, he said, uh, what if you knew for certain that there was nothing after death? You knew for certain there's nothing after death. After you're dead, you're gone. Your existence is kaput. And then he asked, how would you view COVID? In, the, in, in my heart, I, I, as I'm thinking about this question, well, I, if I know there's nothing after death, how would I be? I would, uh, I would have two, two reactions. I would either live it up, act like there's no tomorrow, do whatever I want, live in freedom as if there's no consequences, or I would just hide and cut myself off from the world and just live the rest of my days until I die. But church, I'm here to remind you that our lives don't actually match our convictions. We live knowing that there is something after death. 
right? We profess that. But how come some of us still live as if there's nothing after death? How come some of us live that we're just living it up as if there's no tomorrow? We cut ourselves out from the world. COVID. Insert whatever it is. Disease, famine, war, rumors of wars. They don't have the final word in your life. Jesus has the final word in your life. And I'm here to tell you, as I am one who understands, it's not about not being afraid. We are all afraid, but it's about not letting fear overcome you to the point where you stop glorifying God. It's not about situations, mandates, governments saying that situations around us are lessening so that we can be less afraid, but it is in spite of the circumstances, even if things actually get worse, We will not give up our faith. We have to be more brave. Do you believe Jesus has overcome death? Do you actually believe it? Does it show up in your lifestyle? Does it show up in your bank account? Last week it was preached on this pulpit. Member, brother, sister in Christ. You have counted the cost, have you not? You knew that there was something at stake when you professed that Jesus was Lord. Don't get it mixed up. Don't get it twisted. When you are saved from your sin and you have Jesus, it's not an autonomy to now do whatever you want. Grace is not a means to serve and to start to sin more. It is now you are under the obedience, the lordship of Jesus. You have counted the cost. Do you believe in the greater Sabbath that has taken place? And here's our application, our Sabbath. I'm, I'm learning something as I get older. Are, are some things better? Yes, definitely. You get more comfortable in your own skin. You, you begin to worry less about things that you were so troubled by in the past. But things get harder as we become so entrapped in things that vie for our attention in Jesus. We get so busy, right? A lot of times when I have conversations with people and I ask how you're doing, the, the immediate response is just busy, tired, okay? So what are you doing about that? We, when we take the Sabbath, we are making a conscious, purposeful decision to say, I will stop, pause, be still, and I will honor the Lord. God is bringing us to a place where we can find ourselves again, where we can identify as the church, the body of Christ, and realize that you and I need each other. You and I need to be in this place. Because if we are not, then we will forget. Oftentimes, sadly, it's those extreme circumstances that push us to the edge. But can we make it more of a mindful and conscious goal to not take for granted the things that God has granted to us, his mercy and his grace? I am sharing this with you, a charge to you. I hope and pray every day that our church would have renewed passion in the Lord. Man, I, I owe a lot of people in this room today for where I am. A lot of people. I wouldn't be here without you. Let me tell you about this man. That was a gospel example to me. And, you know, he wasn't anything extraordinary or extravagant. He was just an everyday, ordinary man. But he did something life-changing in me. So when I was in eighth grade, you know, 
can imagine that as an eighth grade boy, you know, you're just, your attention span isn't that great, and you're, you're not focused on, like, learning or anything, right? Unless you're a good kid. I wasn't that great of a kid. But teacher, teacher Brian Lee, teacher Brian Lee, he was in the Air Force, decorated officer. He had three kids. And what teacher Brian Lee did was every Friday night, he had committed to doing Bible study with seven eighth graders. Eighth graders. Can you imagine trying to do a Bible study with seven eighth grader boys? That's not going to go well, right? I can attest to that because I don't remember a thing he said, okay? But teacher Brian Lee, he gave us Bible study. And outside of that, he would take us to, to, to bowling. He would take us to movies. He would take us to laser tag. He would take us everywhere. And he spent time with us. And I didn't realize how big of a thing it was back then. But now that I look back, it's huge. Because he had all the excuses. He has a full-time job. He has three kids. He doesn't have any time. No, he made time to invest in these boys who may, may or not have taken it for granted. But I look back on that example and say to you that we have a renewed passion. If he could do it, we can do it. Brothers and sisters, especially if you're single, you got a lot of time, trust me. So when we make excuses, you know, and I know, that you have time. But what are you prioritizing with that time? Live a life worthy of the calling that you have received and know that life-changing encounters happen in the most unexpected and yet timely circumstances. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of mercy and grace. And we stand here knowing full well that we don't deserve it. But we pray for a renewed passion for you. That in the midst of what is going on in our world and our circumstances, may we look to be better in the areas that we have been lacking. May we not be lazy. May we not be mediocre. But let us pursue excellence because, God, you have given us everything and more. Help us to acknowledge that we are uh, fallen, broken people, forgetful people, detached, but help us to be reattached to your word, to your scripture, to all the things that you have given to us. We thank you for this time and help us to respond to your grace that you give us to us so freely. We pray this all in your name.